Can you briefly introduce yourself? Mm -hmm. So, uh, my name is Julia Mada. Uh, I'm from Graz in Austria. Um, I'm working in the field of diabetes since the year 2005. Um, and I'm working as a physician in the outpatient clinic since 2008. My main research focus in the field of uh, diabetes is diabetes technology, uh, investigating insulin pumps, glucose sensors, um, and also closed-loop systems. Um, I'm an associate professor of medicine um, and specialized um, in diabetes care. Mm, okay. So, um, from your presentation, you presented two numbers to us. Two, and I think it was uh, 8,760. Yes. Can you um, explain what the significance of these two numbers mean? Um, so, um, these numbers are quite important when considering diabetes care because only two hours per year are available per patient and healthcare provider usually. So, of course, sometimes there are situations when the patient uh, gets more attention, but in general, it's two hours per year per patient. But the rest of the year, those 8,760 hours, the patient has to deal with his diabetes alone. So we make we need to make sure that the patient knows what to do, how to uh, react in certain conditions uh, when they are uh, caring of the diabetes themselves, hmm. which is the largest proportion of the time, of course. Uh, okay. So when we were first coming to the idea of continuous blood glucose monitoring, what were some of the I guess, challenges you saw when you first introduced the idea to patients? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the uh, ideas I thought about was it's supposed to make patients' life easier, but uh, on the other side, does it make the physician's life uh, more <coughs> burdensome because they have to continuously monitor? Um, so I already um, started to work with continuous glucose monitoring back in 2005 and I can tell you at that time the systems were quite a challenge because they were so unreliable, they could be worn only for three days, they were mainly just uh, in the field of research. It was so difficult to establish a connection between the, the sensor and the reader and it was really hard to, to get the data for my first study. Um, and if we compare it to nowadays, these devices, they have improved so much, both in accuracy uh, and also in easiness of use. So it's really kind of plug and play with regard to have the technology up and running. Of course, we need to instruct uh, the patient how to make the most use out of that technology because they have a very powerful tool and if they do not know how to use it, then it's completely for nothing to equip them with such a sen uh, sensor. For example, what we observed uh, in Austria, because we have access to flash glucose monitoring nearly for everyone on basal bolus insulin therapy, so it's also for a broad uh, part of type 2 diabetes, and they are equipped by that systems by their general practitioner, and they do not really instruct the patient. So they just say, okay, here's the sensor, you can use it, uh, and you do not need to finger stick anymore. But they do not tell them how often they should scan, uh, what the uh, arrows um, that they are shown um, can be uh, used for, and they are just using it as a 
replacement for blood glucose monitoring, maybe even checking the glucose value only two or three times a day. And so that's uh, kind of using a very expensive system uh, and not making use of it. So that what's, that's what makes me a bit unhappy. So uh, what we try to do uh, in Austria is to establish a training program and a two-step training program uh, to, first of all, uh, promote the technology to the patient, to inform them uh, about the technical features, and after four weeks um, have a retraining uh, where um, we uh, then uh, really look into the more details and kind of tell them uh, what to do with uh, the trend arrow uh, information and how to correctly interpret that signal. And with that we have managed to improve um, the glycemic control in that population who went that training course. So it's really good to have training courses available. Uh, of course, if you do have a young person who is not really willing uh, to wear the sensor and who is just wearing it um, three out of five days or two out of five days or one out of five days, it doesn't really make sense uh, to interpret those data. Of course, we are happy if we can facilitate their lives, but some parts they have to also acknowledge that they need to do something. So to put the sensor, to calibrate the sensor, or depending on, on the system that is uh, into their responsibility. Um, what we also do see is adherence issues, uh, especially moms with small children. They report that the kid removes uh, the sensor. Um, if you are working with the police, it might uh, fall off accidentally. If you are um, trying to uh, calm down a drunk person, for example. So um, that's uh, what we've heard. There might be other sensors such as the Eversense sensor that is implantable, uh, where you can easily replace the transmitter without losing money. That might be an advantage in, in that population. Um, uh, I do not have the feeling that um, it takes more of my time to follow every day in diabetes care, just when a patient sends in a request, then I can answer. So it's not that I'm tracing all 300 patients that I'm, I'm seeing maybe uh, in a, every three months, um, I'm not tracking them in between. Just if they have a question, they do know they can reach me by email, they can text me by via WhatsApp, say, okay, please have a look at my data, and then I will do that. So you think, uh, just from hearing what you're sharing, do you think the app and the continuous glucose monitoring is actually helping the relationship between the patient and the doctor? Or do some patients like you suggest find it a little bit, um, maybe the opposite effect, like, oh, I have to make sure I keep my um, <laughs> glucose uh, managed? Yeah. Um, so, so I think uh, in most cases it's beneficial. In some patients you cannot reach them so because they are uh, having some other stressors than diabetes and they have maybe other worries than the diabetes uh, but still also in those patients even if they are using it only from time to time they can benefit because then um, they are warned in case of hypoglycemia so it's it's mainly to avoid acute complications um, not maybe improving control in, in general so it's always kind of the target that you together with the patient decide because of course it's his life her life mm -hmm. uh, and we have to accept that in 
various time periods, diabetes might not be the top priority, um, especially in young ones or people who are worried about their jobs or whatever. So they might not um, concentrate too much uh, of their time uh, on diabetes. But still, uh, both apps and continuous glucose monitors have um, the capability of at least to reduce some of the burden. Mm, okay. So from clinical studies, have we seen um, the I guess the disease outcome difference in between uh, patients who are using IPTM versus those who are not? Yes, um, there was a study done by Roche. I cannot remember exactly in how many patients, but it was slightly above 100, I think, a mixed population of type 1 and type 2. Uh, and they saw that testing frequency of glucose uh, went up that uh, glycemic control improved um, and also both in terms of uh, HPA1C and the blood glucose um, values. But that was a program um, that uh, kind of uh, integrated the automatic transfer of data values and also the input by dietitians and physicians. So they uh, did not have just an automated uh, dose uh, adjustment, but really uh, in-depth counseling. Mm. but they didn't have to come in all the time, so... Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Well, final question. Um, just from your opinion, we have seen that, um, you know, drug development has been very important in diabetes management, and now it seems like we're doing more technology integration mm -hmm. into our management as well. What do you see would or should be the focus? Do you think both are still important, or do you think um, we have already progressed a lot in drug development and now we should try to focus more on technology. Um, I think there might be a difference for type 1 and type 2 population. Mm. So for the type 2 population, I think there's still um, lots of research needed in the field of new drugs that can maybe postpone the initiation of insulin because of course in type 2 they do have enough uh, endogenous insulin in their body but it's just not really working anymore because the receptors are shutting off and saying okay there is too much glucose and too much insulin in my body I don't want yeah. to have that uh, working so that might be for the field of type 2 diabetes um, still more concentrating on cause of the disease and also development of, of new targets. For type 1 diabetes, on the other hand, they are working also on prevention. So there will be a lecture uh, given by Professor Kiva on Thursday, I think, about type 1 diabetes prevention. So how can we prevent uh, diabetes maybe in the high-risk populations for type 1 diabetes? There are some novel ideas on that. Um, I think that current insulins are quite good, so we will probably not gain too much with new insulins in, in type 1 diabetes. Maybe something a bit faster, something a bit flatter. What they are thinking about is um, glucose-responsive insulin, so that the insulin is only active when the glucose concentration is high. So that might be, of course, uh, of interest. Uh, but on the other hand, what, in my opinion, is really key is um, that the companies start more and more to work together. For example, we do know that this company has a better sensor, but this company maybe has a better uh, pump. So why should everyone need to develop their own sensor, their own pump? If there is a good model out on the market, uh, we can uh, combine forces and, and make a good system out of the existing technologies. And companies also can um, save money because they do not need to 
yeah. pursue that development process when they see that they are failing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is one of the game changes that we are seeing and patience um, and this is what I, I really like are more and more asking to be uh, also uh, to, to be also integrated into the decision process and um, because they are the ones who are actually living with the disease and they need to be confident with the technology and not us prescribing it so how I for example prescribe a sensor or a pump so in Austria you can quite easily get access to an insulin pump and whenever a patient comes into my office and says okay I want to have an insulin pump then I tell him okay these options we do have in Austria these are the pros these are the cons uh, maybe you also read um, on the internet and maybe you also communicate with other peers um, in diabetes um, groups um, for example, we do have a very strong Facebook uh, group for type 1 diabetes in Austria and there they get feedback from other people who already use the device and then they come for a second visit in my office and say, okay, I want this pump and then we prescribe this one. So it's not that I say, okay, you go for this company and you go for that company. So it's, it's mainly because the patient is using the device, it should be the device he's feeling comfortable with. Mm. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you.